Welcome to the Age Reversing Blueprint Podcast, where we discuss tools and tips to help you reverse your age naturally. Let's take a few of, of, of some of the more interesting ones that I'm working on right now, okay? Which would be hyperbaric oxygen, infrared sauna, cold plunge, PEMF. Just down the street from my house, I can go in there and I pay 200 bucks a month. And they have everything I want unlimited. HBOT, cold plunges. So I go in there, I do my 30 minutes of sauna. I do five minutes in the, in the cold water and I do a PEMF. I will see my Aura HRV uh, close to double on those nights. Those technologies were not accessible to us in the masses just a couple of years ago. There's all these recovery lounges popping up. And here's why I like these places. We're in such a hyper-stimulated world. We work ourselves like crazy. These are dedicated spaces. It's like the spa, but with all these new health optimization technologies. So inside one of these recovery lounges, I'm going this afternoon. It's Friday. I've been busting ass all week. I blocked two hours on my calendar to go and do recovery work. I'm going to go do two sessions. I might do two plunges, contrast therapy. But I'm creating space in my life to specifically go and work on recovering my body. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another edition with my new guest, Dave Korsansky. He is the founder and CEO of Heads Up Health. He has a digital health analytics company based in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, avid health enthusiast himself, David. Uh, he makes everyone's life easier and helps them to control their health through effective data tracking. Prior to founding Heads Up, uh, David worked at Cloud Physics, a, a data analyst company collecting and analyzing over 80 bit, uh, 80, what's the 80 B, David? Billion. 80 billion, 80 billion data points per day. He also spent seven years at V Malware in director level leadership roles where he built partnerships with the world's largest software companies, including Oracle, IBM, SAP, Epic, Cerner, and more. David holds a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics, Masters of Business Administration, and Masters of Science, and he in the emerging field of neuroscience and based leadership. So David, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, brother. It's good to reconnect with you. We just hung out a couple of weeks ago in Miami, and here we are again. Yeah, it's weird to read the bio and read it as David. I, I only know Dave. Well, you don't even call me that. You call me uh, the names of uh, hockey players from the 70s and the 80s. So That's right. We have a little running joke, us Canadians, you you know, with the with the obscure hockey players. So yeah, yeah it was nice to reconnect. And I, I did really enjoy, I wasn't just blowing smoke up your skirt. I did really enjoy your conversation, your, your Appreciate topic that. presented at uh, the biohacking conference, which was entitled the biohackers dashboard, how to track your, your, your hacks. And I've asked you if we can expand that and not just the biohackers dashboard, how to track your hacks, but how to track your five hacks. So um, why don't we just kind of get into just a, a brief overview of, um, I know you had, we had talked before and, and, but how you got heads up health company to get into existence in the first place. Yeah. Well, I, um, I was living in Silicon Valley at the time and working for a tech company out there. And this was like 
the early days of uh, biohacking. So 2010, 2011, none of this stuff was on anyone's radar screen except for a, a very obscure group of people doing at that time what was called quantified self. Now we call it biohacking, but it was the same thing. I got into that community and realized that it was incredibly powerful, but there were there were no accessible ways for people to figure out if their health was actually improving or not. So like there was all these cool things you could try, different diets, different exercise regimens, different supplements, different things to try to move the needle. But how do you actually know if it worked or not? And some of this stuff, you're spending a lot of money on it. You're spending a lot of money on nutrition and the gym and supplementation and all of these things to try to be quote unquote healthier. So I saw that despite all the amazing technology coming on the market, and all of the amazing new ways that we had available to us to improve our health, like, uh, I don't know, infrared sauna, for example, I, I needed to, to measure what was working because what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. And so one therapy that works for a certain individual doesn't work for the next. So the only way to know for yourself is to actually test if it works. So that was kind of the origin story for Heads Up. I'm like, hey, there's all this cool stuff out there. There's all this data and it sucks. There's no way to actually just, I just want to see all my numbers on one screen. These are the 10 or 15 numbers that I really care about. My blood pressure, my HRV, et cetera. I just need them on one screen. That was it. And I didn't see anybody providing that to people who were trying to improve their health. And, and that's why we started the company. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, as far as the, how far, how long ago was that now, Dave? Well, the idea came to me in um, 2011. I didn't actually start developing it. At that time, I didn't really know how to start a company, right? Hey, you get an idea, right? It was, it was a, an idea for a software program. How do you even start? It took me like two or three years of just asking around, hey, I got this idea for this new app. How do you even start? there's no there's no instruction manual to figure out so i i had the idea in 2011 we did not actually start writing code until 2016 got you got you and and since then i'm like what i'm interested in, alongside the biohackers dashboard and the the evolution you know the iterations and what you've learned in the process of building this company and determining who's your Who's your target market and what do they want to know even with that idea? So maybe let's go through that evolution to how you came up with the biohackers dashboard. You mean the, the, the presentation? So, yeah, that so was not, you not so much. So, you know, initial, I guess how much it's evolved from cutting away the, the debris and, and pruning the bonsai tree um, and what you kind of learned along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what I presented at the conference a couple of weeks ago was, was seven years of building this company and working with tens of thousands of people tracking their health on our system, giving us feedback, telling us what they like, telling us what they don't like, punching us in the face when things don't work as well as it should. So that was all that. Then, then for the last four or five years, we've been doing the same thing with practitioners like yourself, putting them through the system. What features are they using? What are they not using? What do they need in there to make this more usable? But even prior to that, I was in the biohacking world for 
five or six years, even before I had a company in the space. So the, what I presented a couple of weeks ago was closer to 12 years of, of living and breathing health optimization, um, whatever biohacking, quantified self, whatever set of words you slap on it uh, was, was 12 years in the making. And just if I could sum it up quickly, I would say a few things were my main takeaways. One is that every person is a unique equation. So that's why the, the, the quantification becomes so important. It starts with genetics, environment, lifestyle, culture, society, community, everything. So every single person is a different equation. And therefore, you don't have one prescription that works for everybody. So, so that's why measurement becomes very important. So that's the first thing is that, that we have to approach it all differently. The second thing is that what you're measuring is constantly evolving. So I used to be big into the keto diet five years ago, and I was tracking my macronutrients, protein, fat, carbs. I was tracking ketone levels. I was into that, right? Then my, uh, my understanding and my knowledge of health evolves. I listen to shows like yours. I listen to other shows. The science evolves. The information evolves. Okay, now I'm really focusing on my heart rate variability. We didn't even have ways to measure that five years ago as consumers, right? The ordering didn't exist. You know what I mean? So like now I can measure things that there was no continuous glucose monitor, you know, 10 years ago. So like now you can measure things you couldn't even measure before. So the second key takeaway is that as your health evolves, as you age, as you learn more, as you get wiser, what you're measuring will also change. So that that whole process evolves. And then I guess uh, the last thing I would say is that it's hard and it requires persistence and perseverance and, and commitment. And you're going to get frustrated and you're going to feel defeated. And then the next day you're going to be on top of the world. So, you know, the last piece of it is just to approach it with, with um, open mindset and a mindset of humility and being able to just step back once in a while and not take yourself too seriously. So I guess the third part would just be um, making sure that you're taking care of yourself um, mentally, psychospiritually as well. You know, this, this, we're so hyper bombarded with information. S some of it really helpful, like these amazing podcasts. But some of it really that intentionally is designed uh, with with fear. Um, and and so I would say the last piece of it is just to keep an open mindset and uh, to really just take care of yourself um, mentally, spiritually. There's a million biohacks out there, a trillion, a billion. Right. But if your inner if your inner self is not at peace, then none of it matters. You know, so really focusing on, on mindset, I think, is another piece of it. Yeah, and that's hard to uh, operationalize, right? I mean, how do you? Totally. How do, yeah, you're working with the mind, right? The spirit yeah, yeah. is like, holy, that gets deep real fast. Yeah, and you, you know, you have a couple really important points I wanted to talk about as far as the changing up your importance on the keto diet, uh, and 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 tracking those stats. Maybe explain from a it, whether it's a personal thing or it was because what you've seen with your practitioners um but 
maybe explain, we'll go down that a little bit, why that changed for you. Well, uh, I would say that it's still a part of my life. So, so uh, prior to understanding what the keto diet was, I, I knew how to move off the standard American diet. And I knew enough to start getting off of a lot of um, sugar and, and processed foods. So I was on more what you'd call a, a paleolithic diet. You know, at that time, paleo was the cool diet. Rob Wolf's book, you know what I mean? Paleo was the shit. I was doing that. But when I, when I started to learn the keto diet, that was the first way of eating that forced me to pay attention to blood sugar. Because even on these, these paleo templates, you were still eating uh, foods that uh, could, could generate a high uh, glycemic load. Keto, you had to test your blood sugar and keep it nice and low. Otherwise, your ketones were not going to pop. So it wasn't until I was basically forced to start measuring blood sugar and ketones. That's when I really understood the difference between putting your body into a fat burning state versus um, a glucose burning state. So it forced me to learn how to understand blood sugar and blood ketones. Those are things I can never unlearn. So even though I'm not measuring ketones and blood sugar anymore, it's now just infused as part of my way of living because I've learned enough that I don't need to test that so much anymore. The only time I'll really pull out the ketone meter is when I'm doing a fast. And that's just more for my own intellectual curiosity. So I don't necessarily need to be in a ketogenic state anymore. I, I believe that that can be very um, therapeutic in some conditions and it can work in certain like uh, endurance sport or it works really good if you have insulin resistance or, or PCOS or these other things, none of which I, I, I have. So it's not, Joel, that I don't uh, measure it anymore. It's like I've already learned enough that I don't need to measure it anymore. But like when I do my 72-hour fasts, I try to do those every few months. It's really cool because you can watch your blood sugar coming down. Bing, 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 bing. And then you watch your ketones come up. And eventually there's a point where they cross over. And your ketones have completely taken over as the fuel system. My blood sugar will be like at 60. There's none, right? And my ketones will be like at four or five millimolars. So now I just do it to see actually the, the crossover. But uh, I guess I've internalized enough about it that I don't need to measure it anymore. Well, I mean, I, I thank you for sharing. I think that is somewhat the hidden goal of the paradox of your of your software right is track all the useful stats or 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 biomarkers that give you insight on your your journey and if you're improving yep. and whatnot but also ultimately know thyself and mm -hmm. so that the more you know yourself the more you don't need the the stats as much Correct. unless you want to keep it honest you know i, I remember That's talking right. to dorian your friends with dorian from keto mojo mm -hmm. and they were talking a while back about how you know our goal is to get you to use it less and less and less because yeah. you know yourself more and more and more and mm -hmm. ultimately as you evolve and as new information comes down the pike you put more emphasis and you fill in the shades of gray um, that you may not have some awareness about. And that's actually a good transition into a question I want to ask you is, so what came on my radar recently is something called the Randall cycle. I don't know if you're familiar with that, um, no. but the Randall cycle 
is a theory proposed by Dr. Randall, of course. And it, it, the theory is that your, your cells will burn the fuel that it's given. So if you give it carbs, it will burn carbs. If you give it fats, it will burn fats. Um, however, if you give too much of either, it, it sort of stays in a metabolic purgatory, if you will. Um, or if there's too much fat to have to process, um, any extra glucose is not going to be processed. And that ends up resulting in insulin resistance. And we have the ability as children to be able to switch back and forth. You know, you have a kid who has a lot of energy. They eat lots of sugary foods and or they want that. And then they get really tired, but then they recover very fast. Um, but yeah. with adults, we don't really have that ability to once we stop um, eating the fat, if we're insulin resistant, we have stress and cortisol and polyunsaturated fats and cytokines and so forth to be able to turn that off right away and then just go back to sugar burning again. And the theory is, is that in this, it's sort of a knocking down sacred cows in terms of it, there's not a problem with burning glucose. It's a problem of burning glucose when there's excess lipolysis going on because that person is has this extra weight of fat on their body um they so which is a permanent drip of fat into the into the fuel line to have to burn then cortisol mm -hmm. is dumping uh, a lot of glycogen and broken down glucose into the bloodstream and then on top of that they may be getting 25 30 40 50 percent from their dietary fats so i guess the and question now, now th throw some sl uh, insufficient sleep in there and right. a bunch of other things and it's like right. you got a bad formula Right. So, so I guess the question is, are you seeing this now where it, it's putting a lot of fallouts in, in that, that whole theory into um, how important are, is it to, I mean, certainly we want to control glucose and you want to have baseline levels that are low, but it gives new credence to the fact that, well, is there such a bad thing as a spike? As long as the insulin is bringing it back down and the baselines are lower versus not having a spike, not showing that your body's responding to that glucose in order to use it as fuel right away. Um, so I guess the question is to you, are you seeing that now with your providers or your dashboard or your insight in terms of w the evolution of, is it so bad to have blood sugar spikes? I know that's sort of a, a sidewinder on this, but I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, are you seeing that at all? Well, I think what we have now, Dr. Joel, is we have a lot more practitioners who are getting CGM data from their patients. That, again, keep in mind, this is new, right? Previously, as a practitioner, you were lucky if you got a blood sugar reading when they came in your office for labs, part of the phlebotomy test. Okay, what are you looking at? One data point a year? Okay, then you could have a glucometer at home. You know, maybe you can get a few of those, but there was really no good ways to easily share that with a practitioner. Now you have a practitioner like yourself who actually knows what to look for, and you're getting a continuous feed of data points 24-7, 365. This is a whole new window into blood sugar, right? So at some level, we've never had this level of visibility into a person's glucose before. We've never had the ability to sit there at the screen. I can pull it up right now go back three days and look at all the spikes in someone's blood sugar. How high did it go? How fast did it come down? You know, what's the area under the curve? So in some respects, Joe, I think we're still learning here. If you want my personal take on the matter, um, 
like any answer, I'd say it depends. <laughs> but but if you have uh, your your blood sugar have a, a significant spike, I think I looked at my CGM data a few years ago. Oh, sorry, a few days ago, and I broke two hundred. You know what I mean? It's on a Dexcom. So another thing to keep in mind is that these sensors were calibrated with diabetic people. Okay, which I am not, and uh, at least with the Dexcom sensor. They have a feature in the app where you can calibrate it to your glucometer. So when I put a new sensor on and then I take a glucose reading, it could be 20 or 30 points different. So what you have to do is go into the Dexcom app, take a blood sugar reading. I use my Keto Mojo. I take my glucose reading. And you have to do that two or three times with every new CGM sensor, every single time to get it calibrated. Otherwise, that 200 spike I could have hit when I tested with glucometer could easily be 150. Okay. So that's a very different treatment decision. Okay. So first of all, is the CGM even really the right number? Uh, that, that, that is another factor you have to count. So, so I, as practitioners, I think we have to make sure that we know that these are limitations, at least with current CGMs and, and also know that I should probably ask that person for a finger stick reading next time that happens. So there may be some variability in the sensors that we need to account for. But uh, for me personally, when I see it go sky high, I'm not worried about it. I actually think our, our system's designed for that. What I'd wanna know is what did you eat? Was it French fries and highly processed white bread and a soda? That's just never good for you. Right. But, but if it hit to that same number, and it's because I had um, some rice with like a steak and some vegetables and a glass of wine. Totally fine. I'm okay with that. What you really want to look for is how fast did it come back down to baseline? Right. If it spikes up and you're back down to baseline within an hour, you know, your, your body's cranking. You know what I mean? The system is working as designed. If you hit that and then it's still climbing two, three, four hours later, some people it doesn't go down till the next morning. Okay, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a great answer. So I, I think that I would argue that, um, I, again, like you said, too, all the other things being in in the mix as well, like a, a stressful marriage, you know, a toxic home, financial stress, having a, an infection, mold exposure, all those things as well. Yeah, throw those in gonna, the mix. Right. But if we're controlling those or as much as you possibly can, I think that we have to re-question the idea of never spiking above 120, which a lot of, you know, influencers and health uh, doc, even like renowned doctors are saying, which I don't think is realistic, because if you're eating, the quicker you convert food into energy, the less that can go wrong, the less oxidizable, the less um, the the like the less that you can have a problem with. So um, but it's interesting that I, I, I like your take on that. So. Uh, and well, I the other thing, with, Joel, yeah. is that like, okay, so uh, I, I think Peter Atia, right? He doesn't like, he, he he sets his bar at 140, right? Like, I don't want my people above 140. Okay, it's probably a, a good soft goal. But like, that, that doesn't mean we're a robot. It means that like, we, we still have the joie de vivre, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, I'm going to go out and I know I'm going to have this delicious experience with loved ones and I'm going to clock above 140. It's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy being a human. So, so there's that part of it. And then the second part is like, well, 
even the 140 on a Dexcom, there's plus or minus 20 points there just, just due to the nature of the sensor. But in general, my my take is it's it's more important about how fast it comes down. And definitely, than, definitely. Than, than, than how high it goes. Now there are upper limits, like above 220 is is a formal di diabetes definition. Okay. Right. Again, don't use the CGM to make that determination. Use the glucometer. But if your CGM is showing you're getting above that consistently after some meals, you need to start doing some postprandial testing with the, with a glucometer. But for generally healthy people, I don't I don't mind if it goes up high and comes back down. And it's also time dependent. Like if you just come out of a fast, pretty much anything you're going to eat is going to spike you high. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, so right. like, were you fasting for 24 hours? Maybe you didn't have a chance to eat lunch. You got busy. You were fasted. What you ate on that day could could make your glucose go higher than eating that same thing on a day where you'd already had a few meals. So right, right. who knows, man? Yeah, no, it's great points on your part. I think the other fallout is reevaluating the resistant starches that don't have a spike of your glucose. But what ultimately happens is it can feed the microbes and the lipopolysaccharides get, develop. And next thing you know, you have this whole release of cortisol and inflammatory mediators because you were trying not to spike your glucose and you have a consequence of, of that as well. But anyways, I appreciate your, your insight on that. Um, as far as the, the biohackers dashboard, uh, tell us a little bit more. Now we have the CGM, the glucose meters, the heart rate variability. Uh, what else does the, the person that, well, actually even, I'm sorry to be all over the place, but the next question I wanted to ask you was the, the definition biohack what's your feeling about that? Do, I mean, cause you, you know, you are, you're, you're a computer guy. Um, and I, I somehow I'm not crazy about the definition, it, it, although, or the term we use. Right. So if, if you were to say, listen, we're, we're quantified self, we want to know like a computer, how we can get this running as effectively as possible. Everyone is unique. Um, we want to extend lifespan, health span, quality quality of life, life experiences. Is biohack the best term, or what, what's your sense on that? I like the word personally. I think it represents what we're trying to do, which is we're we're trying to find new um, backdoors, performance hacks, things that most ordinary people are not really paying attention to, or do not necessarily care about so think about uh, a hack into a computer system what are you doing when you hack into a computer system you're finding entry points that did not exist you're looking for back doors you're looking for loopholes that can be exploited for gain you're looking for ways to exploit the system for your own benefit and these ways are not documented you know what i mean the company that makes the firewall you know, you're 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 finding ways to to penetrate that system that are unknown for your own advantage. That's hacking into any system for, for that matter. So I think that's where the word comes from. And then we put the word biology in front of it, which just means we're looking for ways to exploit this the the biological system instead of the computer system for our own gain. So think of us like our uh 
you know, the way you, one way you hack a computer system is you start scanning all the ports on the computer system, you know, so you, you've got your servers in the cloud and think of ports into your system. There are different doors you can open, right? So we, you know, it's very common. Hackers will just be constantly port scanning your software in the cloud. They're looking for a door you forgot to lock, okay? So how can we start looking for the, the, the ports in the biological system? Same concept. So I think that's where the combination of the two words comes together. For me, it, it, it just means how can we constantly be looking for ways to exploit and, and optimize system for our own gain? You can call it longevity. You can call it health optimization. We used to call it quantified self. Um, pick, pick whatever vernacular you're comfortable with. Right. You're just, no, you're just working on your health, man, at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I think, no, I, I like, again, today's show is brought to you by Zeal Charge, the supercharged Zeolite. This is the bottle that you can see right here. Um, each scoop delivers five grams, which is 5,000 milligrams. It is a very pure, very concentrated, micronized, uh, cleaned, remineralized Zeolite that we are talking to you about. And if you're looking to try this product, then I have an offer to get a 10% off discount link. Just use the code Dr. Joel 10, Dr. Joel 10, and we will provide the link underneath the podcast wherever there is information. And let's get back to the podcast. Good, good answer. I think that sometimes it can imply shortcuts, right? And I don't think there ever is any shortcuts. I mean, unless you, I mean, you got to do the work no matter what. And but you want to find the quickest, that quickest, the shortest path to getting to where you want to get to. So that being said, I'd be interested because I know you do your own uh, podcast and you have doctors on staff and they have their own, I guess, cohort, right, where they put their patient base in there and then they do their own unique studies. Uh, and I, I think you even did something recently with um with uh spermidine no or did you do something recently uh, with hrv Amazon? plus hrv plus correct yeah so wh what what are some of the best practices i guess that's how you designed your your biohackers dashboard or what are you seeing as some of the best practices in these cohorts or in these studies or in these getting access to the ports that the doors aren't locked to what what are you seeing as the best practices there's so many out there and it's changing so fast. And, and what's really happening is you have this, also this technological explosion. So let's, let's take a few of, of, of some of the more interesting ones that I'm working on right now. Okay. Which would be hyperbaric oxygen, infrared sauna, cold plunge, PEMF. That's millions of dollars, not millions, but uh, up until just a few years ago, right? The only the only hyperbaric oxygen chambers were at the hospital for people that had a serious leg infection, uh, and insurance only covered it, you know, for a tiny, tiny subset of use cases. Turns out HBOT's awesome for lots of things, but first of all, the tank's 120k, and and it won't even fit in your house. So. But now, now just down the street from my house, I can go in there and I pay them 200 bucks a month and they got everything I want unlimited, HBOT, cold plunges. So these are brand new, what I would call ways to exploit the system. So I go in there, I do my 30 minutes of sauna, 
I do five minutes in the, in the cold water and I do a PEMF. I will see my aura HRV um, close to double on those nights. Those, those technologies were not accessible to us in the masses just a couple of years ago. There's all these recovery lounges popping up where you can go get access. I'm sure they have them down there in Boca. But like here in Scottsdale, you just go and it's in a little strip mall. It's not even a big expensive place, but they just got all the right gear. So you're asking me, what are some of the top ones that we're seeing out there? Uh, right now, we're seeing a lot of these recovery modalities. And here's why I like these places. We're in such a hyper-stimulated world. We work ourselves like crazy. We've got our family obligations, our financial obligations. We're bombarded with, with all of the, the stress of the media. Uh, I like these recovery hacks. You're asking me which ones I like right now and which ones we're seeing a lot of in, in the market, in the industry. And we're seeing more of these places you can go. These are dedicated spaces. It's like the spa, but with all these new health optimization technologies. So we're starting to see more of these clinics come to us and they're saying, hey, we have all these expensive machines. We wanna show people that it's working. So can we use your software, Dave, to help us with that? So now we can show people efficacy from doing things like you know, sauna and cryotherapy. So inside one of these recovery lounges, I'm going this afternoon, it's Friday. I've been busting ass all week. I blocked two hours on my calendar to go and do recovery work. I'm going to go do sauna. I might do two sessions. I might do two plunges, contrast therapy. But I'm creating space in my life to specifically go and work on recovering my body. You don't have to, you know, I do meditation. I do all that other stuff. So I think we're seeing a lot of those. And these clinics are starting to do quite well financially. There's a lot of people coming in there. The stuff's becoming more mainstream. You know, I was the only one cold plunging in the pool here in Phoenix in the middle of winter when it's unheated five or six years ago. You know what I mean? My dad and I, we'd, we'd go into the, we don't heat the pool in the winter and it'll get down to the forties and we'd go sit in the shallow end for five minutes in the middle of winter. You know, now it's like, uh, it's accessible to everybody. Now it's becoming mainstream. I really love these recovery hacks, Joel, to answer your question specifically. We're seeing a lot of those. The, the businesses are doing well. They're expanding. They're, they're having more franchises, the more equipment in there. So um, those are the ones I'm kind of nerding out on right now. Yeah, thank you. So when, you're, when they want to show efficacy, what are, the, what are the biomarkers that can be on the dashboard that would show efficacy that it's working? Great question. So uh, these are more what I would call, they're, they're going to generate an acute response quickly. You know what I mean? Obviously, they can compound over time. But what would you look for? Uh, first of all, you'd look at your heart rate variability, which is arguably becoming the single most predictive biomarker and the easiest to measure that we know of you know just, it's a good proxy an indicator sorry. right and just sort of is that is that like what's your and most people by now that are going to be listening to this podcast don't need to be explained what, what heart rate variability is but i mean there's so many different ways to measure it what are your you know along with the the different biomarkers that show efficacy what what is what are you seeing what are the different ways that they can measure the heart rate variability besides the aura ring 
Well, or anything that measures it while you're sleeping is the easiest because you just wear it and you get the number in the morning. Before they, those came out, we'd do it with like a polar chest strap. You know, you need, you'd connect it to an app like Elite HRV and it would count for five minutes in the morning. Uh, so you could do it that way. And then there's more clinical grade ways to measure HRV where you're going into a lab with a more expensive set of diagnostic equipment that's able to measure like the low frequency, the high frequency, they can get much more detailed. But for the average Joe, uh, any any most of the wearables out there will do a pretty good job. And you'll start to get some good feedback if it, what you're doing is having a positive effect. It's like a scale in the bathroom. Um, I have two in my bathroom because they're both wireless and I need to make sure they both work with heads up. So every morning I step on both. One tells me my body fat is 13.8%, the withings. And the Tanita says I'm 23.8%. How can they, and they're using the same bioimpedance through my feet to measure it. So which one is right? Um, turns out the Tanita is closer to a DEXA scan, but it doesn't really matter because both of them will go up or down accurately depending on what I'm doing. So even if they're not like super accurate to like the gold standard, it's going to go up or down enough to tell you if you're doing the right things or not. So um, those are the ways to to measure. So HRV would be one. Uh, the resting heart rate nocturnally, that's another good recovery metric. A lot of the sports teams on our system are not only looking at HRV, but they're also looking at resting heart rate. That tells them if the body has recovered well enough. And also... Um, not just how low did it go, but when in the sleep cycle. So they'll commonly look at HRV and resting heart rate together. So if you do some really healthy therapies and you don't eat a late meal and you do some breath work before bed, I'll look at my, my resting heart rate. Uh, I'll look at the sleep stages. You know, there's some debate about this concept of deep and REM and how accurate, but nonetheless, on days where I really feel I slept good, I can see that that number reported by uh, aura or your wearable of choice, that would be one. Uh, another good indicator of recovery is actually blood pressure in the morning. And what you'll see is that on nights where you had a really good sleep, as reported by your sensor, your blood pressure is going to be lower. Conversely, if you didn't have a great sleep, you're out having a few drinks, whatever, had a late meal, worked out too late, and you wake up, you're not as fresh your blood pressure is going to be higher. So that, that's pretty consistent. So, so blood pressure, that'd be another one. Fasting glucose. What's my blood sugar in the morning before I have my coffee or do anything? Another good indicator. Um, those would be like some of the acute ones that I'm looking at regularly. Uh, also, uh, respiratory rate is another good one, which again, these wearables, so how many times a minute were you breathing? Uh, that's another really good one for recovery. So those are the ones I'll be looking at when I'm doing those therapies. And when a clinic comes to us and they're like, hey, we want to show efficacy, that those will be some of my answers. I would tell them, include the device as part of your program. You know, just make sure everybody has it. And then you start to show them how to use the technology because there's no real established protocols in this whole world yet. You know, Half these recovery clinics don't even... Oh, you do a little of this and a little of that and whatever, you know, <laughs> there's no, there's no standards out there. You know what I mean? So some of this, we just got to figure out on our own.
No, it's great. I I think the importance of recovery can't be uh, overstated, right? Because really that's the marker of if I'm under stress and I don't feel that uh, I have energy for the day and I'm not as focused, I want to know compared to my own markers, am I, are these markers improving that are showing that I'm getting back closer to a, to a baseline or, or continually improving my baseline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, curious to know, Dave, cause I know you can integrate all these fancy schmancy testing as well from precision and Dutch test and GI map and organic acid and Genova and all these other things. And just even blood work is that, do you see that getting phased out to a certain extent or is that still really important? What I really liked about the heads up health is you have, and you talked about this a while ago where you'd be seeing different doctors and no doctors ever had your stats and you had to find them yourself. And then you wanted to put it on a, on a graph to look at these markers. But I guess the question is, where does that fit in? I mean, as we're moving towards more digital um, real-time information, where do you see that fitting in and how is that integrated into the dashboard? Well, the way we look at it, Joel, the dashboard is in our system is meant to give you that acute feedback, the stuff that's changing uh, by day or sometimes even by minute. And that's you know new, I mean? right? For heads up, acute feedback? Is that no, that's just what we call the or? dashboard. It's like, hey, the dashboard's okay. my HRV, my weight. But we also have a section where you measure the labs. Okay. Because because gotcha. the whole concept is if my my um my acute numbers are getting better, I'm paying attention. I'm sleeping more, I'm controlling my glucose. Then when you look at your lab data, that information gets better. And and those really start to become the long-term indicators of health. So like, hey, I got a CGM or I got a glucometer, <clears throat> I'm controlling my blood sugar. I'm learning how this food affects my blood sugar differently than this other food. And I'm making the better choices, right? That's acute. Then you get your blood test run and your hemoglobin A1C goes from 6.5 to 4.9. Okay, that, that, that's the lab data that we track in our system as well. That's really the money. Then you want to say, okay, well, I'm 4.9. I've been doing really good for three months. Well, what was I 10 years ago? Oh, I don't know. I think I was living in Boston and there's some records somewhere that I can't even access anymore. Uh, so what we want to do is not just help you get to 4.9 right now. Okay, that's good. But can you stay below five for 20 years? That's that's now getting to longevity. Anybody can get healthy for a few months and get that number down once. Can you keep it there for 20 years? Do you even know what your readings were? So that's why the other part of it is tracking the lab. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, as it pertains to the more specialized functional diagnostic labs, like um, urine and stool and microbiome and things of that nature, those are really left to the hands of the experts who know how to interpret that data. And they're going to order that test for a reason. Typically, they're looking for something. And so we also want to make sure that information can get incorporated in our system as well. Because what do you get from those labs? A PDF file. Oh, where's the PDF file? Oh, I think Dr. Rosen might have it. I saw him five years ago, but maybe it's on the hard drive on my laptop that died because I spilled water on it. 
You know, this is like, so how do you get this data together? It's, we want to have an experience uh, above ground. That's awesome. So like, we need this data. So we integrate it all. We don't care. If you're a practitioner and you're running this panel or your user will put it in the system and trend it for you. And then it, as to what tests get run by whom, you know, that's really up to the practitioners. Yeah, but it's a good point, Dave, in terms of it's heading towards more real-time feedback, right? And and I think because so many people are frustrated where they've they have the the practitioner exhaustion, right? They're they've spent so much money in different areas and at the end of the day, they're told that there's their blood tests are normal or they have this or that, but it's not really giving them real-time feedback on how, how are your, how's your autonomic nervous system doing? How are you cooling down? Are you slowing down? Are you, sure. are you, you know, is your blood pressure working hard? Are you, are you, so I like that idea. I, I do think it's important though, to have those long-term numbers going into the short-term numbers. Meaning if I look at your, your, those long-term numbers and I see that there's a hematopoietic issue, meaning you're not, you're not respiring at the cellular level because your, your red blood cells, your iron, your, your, the way that those markers indicate how that's doing is, is challenged, or you have some electrolyte imbalances or your cardiovascular profiles aren't point on point or, or whatever, then we can address those things simultaneously. And that in turn will help the, the, the acute day-to-day stuff but also tracking and being aware and doing these recovery strategies for the acute day-to-day stuff will improve as well. Because I would imagine at some level, are you getting feedback where you have to refer some of the individual people that are looking at these numbers and they they have these wearables and they're doing these recovery things and their their heart rate variability is just always crap. It's never really great. And they don't know what's going on. So um, is that something that heads up health helps? I know education is, is a big thing for your users. Is that something that is part of your, your philosophy and your, your mission is to help educate them to integrate those, those numbers, not just from an acute standpoint, but how to, how to make them work together nicely? Yeah. Well, I think what we've really tried to do is first of all, it's, it's a multi-part problem. At, at the end of the day, what we really, there's only so far we're going to go because we're just a technology company. So what we want to help you do is at least get all of your information into one system of record. And then you can start analyzing it, working with practitioners and stuff like that. We've built the system in a way that you can make those small day-to-day micro changes and then see the results in your longer term blood work as well. And then also potentially see it in these longevity tests, which is what I talked about it at the conference, which is we now have ways to assess our rate of aging. And, and that can actually be reversed. Just like you can lower your hemoglobin A1C, you can lower your, your rate of aging. So um, that's the feedback loop we want to create inside of our system. That's the thesis of how the system was built. What our system is not going to do is, is tell you what to do or tell you how to necessarily interpret the data. We'll, we'll show you the trend line. You, you will have to interpret whether that trend line is good or bad for you because it's going to be different. Or your practitioner will be on the other end interpreting the trend line for you. So And they're going to give you 
your protocol. So we're kind of like presenting the facts. And then we empower the practitioners to look at the facts and help you come up with a protocol. I will say though, Joel, um, give me one second. I'm just gonna close my door here, there's some noise. And then... I will say though, Joel, that there's, there's, there's more things that are now starting to be collected at home passively, which is exciting. You gave this example of practitioner fatigue and they all wanna rerun the labs and the panels and and maybe at some point there's just more I can start doing on my own but you can get overwhelmed on your own the last thing we want is people consulting Dr. Google for interpretation of a lot of this lab test. but there are people who are like you know what I'm going to do some research on my own first or now so it's it's not far off I have a test kit in my kitchen here that I just put a drop of blood on a spot card and send it in the mail and they run lab tests for me. So, right. you know, there's more of that at home stuff coming that we can do on our own. And then we can go do a little of our own research, consult with someone here, consult with someone there. So there's, there's more of the self-directed stuff coming where we can do more testing at home. Right. But, I, you know, ultimately it's a, it's a consequence of you going to these conferences, presenting the information, staying, putting it, having your finger on the pulse of what's coming down the pike and, yeah. knowing you know knowing how you can best serve your end user but not playing doctor you know in in the process That's um right. but good 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 segue into the rate of aging and i i really like those those tests and the dna methylation and now they've added the ability of looking at these um exercise markers right like force exploratory volume and uh hand grip strength and vo2 and so maybe i mean is that being integrated in that's just being housed in your software or how, what's, what's Absolutely. your. Yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we spoke with a group last week and they're like every single person that comes in our program, there's a grip strength test test. We want to trend that. We want to know your grip strength now, grip strength, sorry. And we want to have that on the dashboard and we want to check it again in 12, 18, 24, 36 months. We want to see that trend line going up VO two max, same kind of thing. So these practitioners are coming to us and they're saying, hey, we've been measuring all this stuff for decades. We've never had one dashboard where I can show people their HRV, their grip strength, their VO2 max, their waist circumference. And there's lots and lots and lots of really well done studies that directly correlate these to longevity. So and then can you also on that dashboard put their biological age? Now it's getting fun. Now it's just gamified. It's cool. I mean, I think that the 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 ba the more you keep it basic, right? And like knowing that your waist, your hip to waist ratio, and knowing that your strength of how much you can squeeze something or how much you can breathe out at one forced breath can be that much more insightful than having a, a $1,500 test to look at your blood work that you're only gonna be told that there's nothing wrong or you need to be put on a statin, right? I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, it's good to have the blood work. You know, the you can go look in your toilet bowl and, and you'll get great biomarkers just from urine and stool. They don't cost anything. You don't have to buy a sensor. There's no expensive lab tests, Bristol score and uh, the color of the urine. You know, those two things right there, you can self calibrate pretty effectively with. 
Curious to know, as far as one of the things that I do with, with the patients I work with is I have them do some different diet variations and macro changes, and it's hard to really extrapolate the impact that's having in real time if it takes some timing to change those yeah. those things in and see what it's coming out. Um, but as far as, um, oh, geez, I lost my whole train of thought on that question. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say on that? Darn it. I forgot what I was going to say. It was going to be a good question. Looking at like, how do you, how do you measure stuff when a protocol, it's, it's not going to kick in for three to six months. You know what I mean? Like, like some of this stuff doesn't happen overnight. A supplement is not going to improve your vitamin D after two doses. You know what I mean? So like you, 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 there are things that just have to be looked at longitudinally over time. And I think that's where the blood work can be helpful. Just simple vitamin D level. Great right. example. Right. No, actually, so I remembered now. So as far as because you can't suss that out right away over time, I think you have insights or trends. I forget what it's called, but can you put subjective stuff? Let's say, you know, I want to know my cognitive health, which I don't feel is on point all the time. I don't sure. feel like I have energy all the time. I don't yep. feel like my motivation and libido might be there and my GI discomfort. So those say four markers you can put on a 10 scale and give yourself just, just sort of a visual analog score. Um, is that being incorporated as well? Or can some, is that encouraged or, you know, marking those, those subjective uh, feedbacks that, can be just as insightful as, as objective stuff as well. Yeah. So on the dashboard, we have a lot of practitioners that will put some metrics there for you to self-report those things. So the practitioner may assign a, a, a dashboard to their client, Joel, which has uh, grip strength, VO2 max HRV, but also libido one to 10 energy levels, one to 10 mood, one to 10. And, and, and you can self-report those things subjectively, symptoms, migraine, severity, uh, all of those types of things are reportable. If you're working with a condition where those are a problem, what you're really trying to do is figure out the triggers. So, okay, if I can, if I can track my migraine severity, then I can go back and look at those times when I had a really severe migraine and figure out what the heck was going on at that time. Oh man, it turns out that like, those are really correlated with um, when I have a certain meal, for example. Oh, okay, so maybe there's a metabolic component to this migraine. Or like another example, I noticed for me, this is something I'm working on recently, where like, I was noticing my nocturnal HRV at home was lower than when I'm sleeping at a hotel at a conference. I'm like, well, man, I'm not in my comfy bed. I can't get it as cold as I like. I don't have my chili pad. Why is it higher in the, in the hotel than at my home? So you measure it for a while, right? Just like the migraine severity. And, and the correlation might not jump off the page right away. You might have to try some different stuff, you know? For me, it turns out it was EMFs in my bedroom. Hmm. So like, but I, it took me a long time. I had to eliminate 10 or 11 other things, which I suspected, which were not the case <clears throat> before I got to the one that caused it. 
So that's where you can track these symptoms and then try to reverse engineer it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So does that can get really complicated quite quickly, right? If you you have all these data points and you're really tracking each one and you want to suss out those those covert relationships, how, how does Heads Up Health help you do that? Well, first you'll you'll have the other data points that that you're looking for. Again, that still may not give you the smoking gun. Like we, you we do can... some regression analysis though, weren't you? Like you can do some of those those stats not yet. on the yeah, not yet. Yeah, we're we're not at that level of sophistication yet. But right. but you could imagine a future version where it could say, excuse me, what are you working on with your health? And you're saying migraine severity, and you just have to start reporting that every day. And we're getting a lot of other data feeds coming from your sensors. We could probably start to figure that out at some point especially with AI, because with AI, once you see the pattern with one person, then we can go look at that exact same data pattern <clears throat> and instantly scan everyone for that same pattern. Let me give you an example. So <clears throat> we found that people with uh, this particular genetic SNP mutation, when their blood, I'm, I'm making this up, but you'll, right. but you'll get the idea. People who have that SNP and a hemoglobin A1C above this, and when they go to bed at night, their blood sugar was above 150. You know, the next morning they report a migraine. You know, that's like four or five variables right there, but somebody figured it out, right? Some research paper published it, right? You know, we... AI can then go find that in anybody instantly, automatically across trillions of data points in seconds. You just have to tell it what to look for. You know, so 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 you could see us getting to that point. We're not there yet. That's that's part of the longer term aspiration. That's where you can do some cool stuff. How many times, Joel, have you looked at someone's genomics <clears throat> and looked at their OAT results and you know exactly what's going on with them and exactly how to treat them? But what percentage of the population could even afford the oat and the test? How, how could we scan all of those people automatically and find it for them instantly? Most practitioners don't even know what to look for, even if you gave them the test results. Right. So how do you now democratize that? How many people are in mental institutions and incarcerated because they have a treatable MTHFR mutation? You know what I mean? That's the stuff where I see that massive potential. No, it's really cool. And I'm glad we're talking about this, especially from a data repository like yourself, where there's the potential for age reversal and lifespan. The, you know, the DNA company that I use, what's cool about it is I think that now they have with all the doctors that upload their own patients, a raw data to, there's probably 60,000 people in there. And mm -hmm. what's cool about the program, Dave, is you can see, let's say I'm looking at your DNA and I'm looking at these different sections of iron metabolism and histamine and glutamate and antioxidant response elements, even NAD and glutathione. And I could see based on your SNPs where you compare to the rest of the database. Yeah, and exactly. The, A cohort. Right? Yeah. The, and the rest of the database is, is somewhat skewed right because they're not the olympic athletes of the world you're, you're you're comparing all the sick 
people that are seeing my seeking my help that are seeking all those other doctors help. So if you're an outlier to the outliers, it must be a real challenge and it can help the doctor understand where some of the weak links in the chain may, may break to, to deliver a better outcome. So is, is heads up health doing that as well? Or is there some concern with, well, I don't want, I mean, with people that aren't aware and might be ignorant that I don't want them sharing my data and, and this, that, and the other, but does heads up health have the ability to run AI to see trends, to help deliver quicker, better outcomes? We're starting to build some of those first commercial examples. So like with a lot of our sports teams, they need us to run an algorithm that looks at training load, resting heart rate, and HRV. And they need to do this every day for hundreds of people and look for very specific things in the data that they would have to do manually. I got to get these three data points. I got to log it to three separate systems, put all three data points in a spreadsheet, do that for 50 athletes, and then build the logic into the spreadsheet to, to find these, these, if these, these patterns in the data, you know, so that type of stuff we can automate. We're not yet doing a lot with um, AI or any type of um, predictive analytics or anything like that yet. But even with your genetics example, you, you already illustrated, it's the same with these longevity tests, right? They're just looking at you relative to a cohort of people, your age in many cases. Well, they're looking at your results, but then they're saying, well, for other people, your, your results are actually closer to the cohort 10 years younger than you. Right. And the only way you get the cohorts is, is people put in the data. And right. the way to ethically use the data is to be very clear in your terms of service with people how you're going to use the data. And, and you should use it in a way that is internal only for your system and is de-identified. So I may take your data and anonymize it, but put you in the cohort of 40 to 50-year-old males so that I can show you, like you said, what how do you compare to the other people in the lab? That's how we're learning. That's that's also the, the potential in these companies because you know, you, you have all this other data that was typically in the hospital's EHR, right? They may not be mining it for cohort analysis. They're just using it for patient care inside the system. You know, these companies in the wellness side of things, they're taking those tens of thousands, millions of data points, and they're helping us learn and build better protocols and show you where you stack up. So I think it's overall a net win for healthcare. Yeah. And it, it's important to have the outcomes to, to baseline things too, right? I mean, you can't just have these stats without any quality or, you know, qualifying the information, meaning how sick were these people that had these numbers? How healthy were these people that had these numbers? What was their lifespan? You know, how, you know, morbidity, stuff like that. But it's really cool the direction that it's headed uh, as far as uh, any other really cool stuff that we left out so far, Dave? I mean, you've been a wealth of information. Uh, no, I think we, um, we we covered a lot of really like of the more um, prominent parts of, of what we're seeing in healthcare right now. A lot of these recovery modalities, a lot of good ways to measure things, just some some good practical examples on, on how to use data and, and also how not to use data. And, and also just some really good discussion about where things are headed and what's the potential. There should be 
no reason why we cannot substantially increase the overall lifespan at this point. Our diagnostic capabilities are better. We have more access to diagnostics than we've ever had. We have access to the best health optimization gear in the world, stuff that LeBron James could afford in his house. I can walk down the street and do the same thing now for pennies on the dollar. I can buy the best supplements from the best company that research the extract from the tree in uh, this obscure nation that's like a longevity super compound. Could order on Amazon and have it delivered the same day. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like we have every tool we should possibly need at this point in the game to improve the lifespan. We're just putting all these protocols together and figuring it all out. Yeah, you, you said something interesting in terms of the democratization of everything, which is great, right? Open access, having having access to this. But I, I guess it begs the question, how are third parties, insurance, insurance providers, insurance companies, big pharma, uh, you, you know, allopathic medicine, how do you see them receiving the way we're headed, digging their heels in or, or using the Aikido, working with the momentum? Like what, what's your, what's your thought on that? Are you meet, met with opposition or it's being embraced or somewhere in between? Typically uh, they don't seem to be opposed to it. They just, they, 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 they don't have the ability to advise you on that stuff because that's just not the way they're trained. So typically they're like, okay, you can do that. That's that's not my domain, you know. In in that system, it's it's um, more of what I would call acute care, and we need that system. Don't get me wrong, the acute care system has saved the lives of many of my family members many times over. When I can, you know, drive my dad to the ER, and he's being triaged by the best doctors in the world in under three minutes, with the best diagnostic equipment and we have in the world. So like, we need that. Um, are they going to work with him on some of these more wellness or lifestyle-based programs? That's just not how their system works. So I think what's becoming more common, Joel, is for people to have two types of healthcare. They have their insurance medicine, then they have their concierge medicine. And the latter one you pay out of pocket for, fine. You know, there's there's different ways you can buy a practitioner one-off visits or or you can buy a membership where you just get direct access and so i think we're moving to this model where you'll have your lifestyle uh doctor and you'll have your acute doctor and um they don't necessarily need to really get in bed together unless there's a serious problem in which case they're, they're probably going to want to coordinate and as long as they're respectful of each other and they coordinate properly it's probably overall a net win. We're, we're not seeing a lot of um, resistance from the conventional system. I think if anything, we'll probably over the next 10 years start to see them adopt more of this technology because what are they really interested in? Keeping people out of, out of the hospitals and being able to treat as many people as possible as, as cost-effective and efficiently as possible. So how do you do that? Well, you have to start getting all this stuff we're doing you know, to fit into those cost models. And so it's got to move from this fee-for-service model, which is kind of like how it is now. The doctor gets paid every time they see you for a thing. It's got to move more to this risk-adjusted risk model. Then there's incentive for them to put you in an infrared sauna and cover it under insurance. 
you know, that's, I think, where where it could really come together and get exciting is when those worlds come together. It's a bit of a bit of ways, though, right? You, you would say, a yeah, we're 10 ways, years yeah. away from that in the best yeah. case scenario. Right. Because I think when we were talking initially several years ago, that was sort of part of your your, I guess, business approach is seeing if you can get third parties interested is that has that been something that hasn't has been just sort of realized okay that's not our that's not our user right now oh we do it like when we work with practices inside of the acute care system they're not using our system to help someone optimize for longevity they're doing uh they're using our system to do remote patient monitoring which means i have someone with severe hypertension um, severe di di type 2 diabetes, severe obesity, they need these technologies to monitor the patients in the home and transmit the data points back to the doctor. So there's very specific conditions where doctors can bill insurance for using a CGM. So like type 1 diabetes, for example, the doctor could get billed for monitoring that data on a monthly basis. For someone with high blood pressure, if the patient's at home measuring their blood pressure, you know, like with a Withings blood pressure cuff, the doctor is, is able to bill insurance for that. But it's a very narrow definition of conditions, and it's 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 mainly based to um, reduce uh, readmissions and uh, make treatment decisions. Those are the use cases for us today, heads up, in the um, allopathic system. Right. Gotcha. And it's uh, when they do that, it, it's just more of um, like housing the stats and then making the treatment decisions, but not necessarily doing connections with things or being able to improve longevity. It's just more acute based focused. Uh, there are care coordinators and, and there are and there are coordinators that might reach out to you in like a coaching capacity. And say, hey, Joel, we noticed your, your blood pressure has been a lot higher this week. You know, is, is everything going okay? You know what I mean? It's it's starting. That's cool. So I know you're big into, into mindfulness. And so I guess on parting here, I usually ask my, my guests, what do you wish you would have known then that you know now that would have helped your 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 age reversing goals? But what what would you say is your your best mindfulness hack? Because you've gone down that rabbit hole pretty pretty good, haven't you? I think psycho spiritual health in general is epidemic in this country right now. It's not really talked about. We we don't have good medications or tools for it. Uh, so I think the mental health part of it, the psycho spiritual health part of it, um, and just spirituality in general, I think is is probably. Um, something that doesn't get enough attention in all of the talk about healthcare, in my opinion. And and you see, as far as your recovery numbers go, the more or less you do that, the more or less it's impacted. It plays a big part in your, in your scores, Dave. Well, my, one of the last slides I showed Joel was that the yogis were the original biohackers. How did they biohack? They just use breath. You know, have you read the James Nestor book? Yeah. So like, they're not doing cryo. They're not, they don't need a CGM. They know how to, they know how to do self-mastery through, through breath control, introspection. They're the original biohackers. And guess what? You look at those yogis, 
they live to 95, die peacefully in their sleep. You know what I mean? Not everyone. I I I shouldn't make generalizations like that, but but their um mental state of mind, their inner game, their spirituality is so strong that that's really driving their life force. In the in the meditative world, there's this concept of prana or the Buddhist world prana or breath. Uh, in the Chinese traditions, it's called qi, but it's working with your life force. And how do you optimize your life force, your chi, your prana? It's the type of food you eat. You know, that's why a yogic diet is very important. The yogic diet, they're looking at fruits and, and vegetables and organic and ethically and sustainably. They take great pride in choosing food, where it comes from, who grew it, how did it grow? They get it at the farmer's market, right to the source, because that food is bringing in your prana, your life force, the air. And that's another thing. So how do we breathe even affects how our, our source, our life force, our vitality, sunshine. You know what I mean? Like, are we even getting sunshine? It's been vilified as cancer causing. And there's definitely people that are different skin tones that need to be sensitive, but like getting plenty of sunshine. So that's those are the things that are interesting to me in in what I would call more of like the metaphysical side of things. That's awesome. No, good, good stuff. So I'm listening to this and I want to be able to try this out myself or there's practitioners that may want to add this to their services, to their patients that they work with. What can they do to to start to use their your information? Yeah, thank you, Joel. So um, our company is Heads Up and we're at headsuphealth.com. And through there, if you're an individual, you can sign up for a 30-day trial. You can start measuring some things and get some of your data in there and start to see if this is something for you. No, not everybody wants to measure their health. I get that. Not just like not everybody meticulously tracks their finances, but whatever. If you want to start tracking, you can start using it as an individual. As practitioners, we help you use this to optimize the well-being of your clients. You can also just create an account, use it with up to three people, no charge, unlimited, forever. And then if you just have questions, you can um, email support at headsuphealth.com on, on pretty much anything we talked about here today. Uh, my team will alert me. If there's a question for me, just make it specific to me and send it off and we'll process it for you. But Joel, our, our contribution, how we want to be of service is is to make the tools to measure that this is working for people so that that's our company's mission is to make health measurable so that that's what we work on and, and bleed on and, and that's that's heads up and just curious thank you for that and as far as just for complete disclosure let's say after the 30 days as an individual what what are the what are they looking at after that it's nine dollars a month for the subscription Right. I mean, listen, $9, can they do a pay for a year and save even yeah, more? 79 a year, yeah. uh, 79 for the year. Right. And I think just for the fact of being able to have all the different blood tests that you've done over the years and you don't have to log into LabCorp and Quest and then be annoyed, feel like you're annoying this doctor that has your stuff, just get it all and put it in a place and then somehow organize it just with that alone for $9 a month seems like a, like a deal for, for, in my mind. Yeah. It's uh, your financial data and your health data. You know, those are the ones that you got to really monitor over the long run to, to stay on top of things. 
there's probably some awesome. correlations in there. We're being a separate conversation. <laughs> I, well, listen, I mean, I appreciate your your help and uh, and your time, Dave. Always good to talk to you. It, it's amazing to have like a conversation where we're not ribbing each other and to hear how smart you really are. It's so refreshing that we yeah. can actually be professionals, Joel, because usually it's 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 you and I text messaging each other with just uh, asinine jokes, making fun of each other, humiliating each other, whatever we right. can think of at the time. That's right. That's right. No, it's awesome. I appreciate your time, Dave. And I look forward to hearing about the, the progression as we as we move forward here. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Dougie Smale. Hi, thank you so much for watching our Age Reversing Blueprint podcast. If you've made it this far, we sincerely thank you for your attention and your interest in reversing your age. If you're looking to get more information on today's topic or other podcasts that we've had, be sure to check out the show notes and be sure to check out drjoelrosen.com. Have an awesome day.